are listening to the Fearless Training Raw Knowledge Podcast with myself, Alex Connor, your host, where we talk everything training, nutrition, and lifestyle collectively. This week, something a little bit different. This episode is going to encompass one of my latest masterclasses. My masterclasses are a project I've been running for the past couple of months at EMF, Elite Military Fitness, here in the Gold Coast of Australia at Rabina, where I've been placing a large focus on education. I have been educating people through the fundamentals of nutrition, of training, skill acquisition, and then moving more into the hands-on of practical elements like how to lift effectively, safely, efficiently, and also some upcoming classes where we're going to get in the kitchen alongside professional chefs with elite facilities to help people really dial in and show people how easy it can be. But on this episode is the training masterclass that I recently did a couple of weekends ago, which I have the privilege of sharing uh, the muscle and strength pyramids uh, that are the cornerstone for this knowledge. And it is that of what is the most important from the most vital factors that play into your training to the least. So we're talking about the main elements, the main principles, if you like, that are underlying that you should base your training around. If you understand these fundamental pillars, these cornerstones, if you will, it will make your training far, far, far more effective. And you can start to understand why these things are important and how they play in. It's a bit like a jigsaw puzzle. If you get the pieces in the right place and you build up in a sequential manner, you can actually be more effective with your training and you'll start to enjoy it more, especially as you become more advanced in the gym. So whether you are a beginner, an intermediate or advanced, these principles are going to be at play and the more advanced you get the more you will start to focus in on them and the more the latter elements or the hierarchy if you like become more important as you tick off the lower and easier levels. Now I will put a link to 3D Muscle Journey, Dedication, Desire, Discipline, shout out to those wonderful and intelligent people and coaches uh, so you can get a bit of an idea of what they have done uh, they have termed it the muscle and strength pyramids phenomenal for anyone who's starting out or even is more advanced who wants to really get their head around the science extrapolated in a long format you can even see the videos as well and you can get it summed up within diagrams i have sort of put it within my own realm into a staircase. Uh, I've taken those principles that have helped me so well and uh, I'm sharing my own anecdotal experience as well as defining these principles within this episode. You'll hear a bit of Q&A at the end as well with a couple of the audience members and perhaps these are some questions that you've had yourself. And if you do have any questions, as I've mentioned previously, please reach out. All the information is in the show notes below. You can email me, you can leave us a comment, etc. And if there's any burning questions that keep arising or come up, I'll make sure I'll get back to you personally or we'll answer them. We may even move into a solo Q&A where we get through these popular topics which we might disperse in and around the guests over the months as everything overlaps. So please listen in, take some notes if you would like on this one. Uh, there's a few juicy bits. Uh, excuse me if I get a few of the words a little bit backwards. I think at times they're a little bit overexcited. So one or two things might be quite out of context, but it is quite important to always critically think. I, I'm always big on 
you know, ask questions. I always teach my clients and, and peers around me, uh, as good mentors have done for me, ask questions, be curious, be a little bit skeptical, do your own research and uh, put it into effect, you know, practice it, try it. At the end of the day, evidence-based practices are great and they are some of the most underlying principles of which we use to guide our coaching and our methodology without any, without throughout, I should say, all industries. But at the same time, we've also got that hands-on experience, that anecdotal evidence where sometimes something just works. It might not make complete sense, but it works. And if it works, it works. So guys, thank you as ever for tuning in. Remember, you can listen on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or any of your favorite mediums. And if you've been really enjoying these episodes and listening to this podcast, please help us out. Give us a rating and review on whatever medium you choose. Share it with someone like-minded because as I always mention, at the end of the day, it's important for me to get good quality information out as best I can to share it and better help others with their physique goals. I will be back next week though with another talented guest speaking about another popular subject as always. In the meantime, enjoy this latest episode all about training fundamentals. So for those of you who don't know, my name's Alex Connor and I'm a physique coach. I know some of you are my clients and some of you were here last time, but I'll just do a bit of a recap and set the agenda and some protocols just before we kick off so you know what to expect and, and uh, how and when, etc. So I'm really passionate. What I specialize in is strength and conditioning and body recomposition. So put simply, helping people condition their body in a more desirable way via resistance-based activity, which correlates over to decreasing body fat and increasing lean mass respectively but vitally in a way that's sustainable, flexible, and enjoyable. And that's something I always bang on about because if it doesn't meet that criteria, it will never work. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna run through the training principles. So for those of you who were here last time, it's a bit of a carry on from that. We talked about the main principles of nutrition and we talked about them from the most important facets and factors all the way to the least. And we're gonna be doing the same here with training. Now, I'm happy if you wanna take notes and you wanna take pictures or videos or whatever it is, go for it. You will be getting an email about halfway through the seminar, which will summarize everything we've talked about. It will have a picture of this, but vitally it will have an explanation of each section bullet pointed out in a really easy way to digest and implement. So you can take notes if you want, but don't stress, it will be in that email. It's nice, readable, and it's really actionable too. And I'm gonna explain it in a little bit more depth today. Now, I don't wanna oversimplify things because some of these terms at the moment are probably gonna seem a little bit foreign, and some of them are gonna seem pretty self-explanatory. But I'm gonna give them context, and I'm gonna make them bespoke to you. So I'm gonna speak for about 35 to 45 minutes, and then, to give you as much value as I can, we're gonna move around the room as I did last time, and I wanna get some feedback from you, and I wanna answer any questions that you might have in respect to this, because this has all gotta be correlated over to your training and your goals. The last thing I will mention, if you do have any questions, pop your hand up. We'll answer them here and now. We don't necessarily need to wait for the end, because if you wait for the end, you might forget, Unless we're talking, 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 we'll probably have enough time as we've allocated about an hour to an hour and a half to do it. Okay, so as a bit of an overview, 
The first and most important thing when we look at any facet of training or nutrition or lifestyle is behavior and lifestyle. And again, we touched upon this last time. And to build on that again, what is behavior and lifestyle specifically and how does it relate to training? Well, it affects us in a really big way, hence why it's the most important. Because our behaviors, our habits, our preferences, our likes, our lifestyles, our jobs, our abilities, it all is compiling in relation to how successful we're gonna be and how well we can adhere to the rest of, in this case, staircase, or the order of importance. So the first thing we have to do is start to look at those things. So if we move up to level one, we have adherence, and then we have volume, intensity, and frequency. We have progression, exercise selection, rest periods, and at the top, tempo. And I always leave it open at the top, not because I ran out of room, but because it's infinite. You can always make improvements. There's always another level. There's always something you can do to make it better. But just like a pyramid, we have to start at the bottom or a staircase and we have to build it up from the bottom up. And that way it's gonna be more sturdy. It's gonna stand the test of time. So now let's dive into each one. I'm gonna give you some basic recommendations and considerations, and then I'm gonna give you some context. Don't take it as gospel, it's guidance. And at the end, with your questions, we'll make it a bit more specific and bespoke to each of you individually. Because for example, you're all different in here. You might have similar goals, but the way you get there is probably gonna be very different. But the principles of which you use are gonna be the same. So moving up to number one, level one, adherence is the big picture. What is adherence? Adherence is how well can you turn up and do something repeatedly over time. For example, is my 16-year-old client going to have the same adherence as my 34-year-old client with a full-time job and three kids? Maybe, maybe not. But there's different factors. They have different goals. They have different commitments. They have different situations in life. So we have to vary and we have to adapt for that. So when we look at creating programs or when we look at setting our program up for ourselves and we might go, cool, I'm gonna start the gym on this date. I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna download a program online. It's a six day bodybuilding split or whatever it might be. And I'm gonna go in and smash it. And most of the time you'll go in or people will go in. And after the first week you go, I can't really maintain that. You're probably too sore it was too much and then by the next week you drop down to three days two days and then before you know it the month's out and you're paying for a gym membership like most people and you're not really using it and it sort of left a bit of a bad taste in your mouth and every time you sort of go from zero to 100 you go from here to here here to here here to here and then when we go well how about we do something a little bit easier maybe we just try and go two or three days a week and maybe we just go for two to three exercises instead and we might think well no that's too easy so we don't do it but we have to make it easy, especially at the start, depending on someone's adherence and again, someone's skill level, we have to make it so easy that we can't fail. If we get those wins on the board, we can always better to make it too easy and then up it rather than go too hard and then sort of fall off the wagon. Does that make sense? Yeah. So adherence, it's the big picture stuff. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to identify. So when I sit down with clients, with people that want help from me and they say, Alex, what's the best exercise for me to get jacked? Or what's the best ab exercise to get ripped? It depends, all right? Because it depends on a lot of things. And I have to teach people to ask better questions because that is not really a good question to ask. 
but it's not your fault or it's not their fault. They don't know. They're after that magic pill. They're after that black and white mentality. It's that binary thinking. It's on, it's off, it's right, it's wrong, it's black, it's white. But really, we have to teach people to critically think, so critical thinking, asking better questions. Well, maybe it's not the best exercise. Maybe it's some better exercises. Or maybe it's not the one thing. Maybe it's multiple things instead of just the one thing. So looking at your lifestyle and going, well, hang on a minute. If I'm working a 905 or I'm studying at the moment and I'm only working three days a week, but I've got this much time, perhaps going to the gym three days a week is better than going six days a week. And then maybe you can work your way up to, if it is your goal and you need to, six days a week, which for most people is unnecessary. And to be honest, you don't need to do it, which I'll explain later on when we talk about how to organize our volume. The next thing we do is have to commit. So once we identify what's going wrong and we can go, right, what can I change? What can I commit to? What are the minimum days a week? What is the minimum time I can spend in the gym in this scenario? Or if you have another goal, for example, it might be snowboarding or surfing or whatever it is, but I'm gonna assume because you're here, you're probably into some degree lifting weights. So in this case, it's weightlifting. How many days a week can I actually go? Put that number down. Can I do it? Think about your week, plan ahead. Okay, well, what if I, if I can't go in the evening, can I go in the morning? And a lot of the time, it's just breaking or making a new habit because we might go, well, I don't really wanna get up in the morning, but it might be the best time for us to train because it's the only time, and it might mean going to bed a bit earlier, preparing ourselves, and then getting up that little bit earlier and going to the gym and committing to it. <laughs> Something else to note is periodization. So, the order of priority, as we've explained, relates to what periodization is. Now, all periodization is means organizing these segments over time. So organizing your training, managing your training, your volume, your frequency, your intensity, everything into a plan. So when you start out, things don't need to be organized per se. You can turn up at the gym and you can just do anything. And you're just gonna get results because you're doing something you've never done. So you're causing a demand, therefore your body will adapt. So it's like Edison's law. For every action, there's an opposite, an equal reaction, etc. But as we move from a beginner into an intermediate, where to the point we can't just turn up and wing it anymore, and we can't just add weight to the bar, and we can't do things in a disorganized way, that's where periodization or having a plan comes into place. And that's where, for example, you might need guidance from a coach or a trainer to be able to help you organize that into a structured plan bespoke to your lifestyle so you can turn up you can still understand the principles, but you're not sort of going, oh, I'm not really sure about that, and it removes a lot of the guesswork. So then we move on to level two, and we're looking at volume, intensity, and frequency. Now, this is probably the most foreign term for most of you. Now, you probably relate and understand the terms, but what the hell has that got to do with training, really? So let's break it down. So when we look at volume, it's like, for example, if I took my drinking, the volume is the total amount in this cup right now, or in this container, if you like. So that's like our total amount of weight we're lifting per week. Now, when we add up the totality of the tonnage, so say you go in and you're doing 100 kilos on a bench press, or you're doing 20 kg on a bicep curler, wherever it might be, it's all of those kilograms added up over the week, or it might be the block. So a block being a month, or three weeks or four weeks, or depending on your training, it might be a six week block, okay? It's the totality, it's the total amount that you're doing in terms of weight. The intensity refers to how hard 
So we can usually use a percentage of one rep max, which is how hard on a given exercise could you do just one rep, your total max effort, and it's a percentage of that. So how hard are we working of a percentage of that one RM, but also on a scale of what we call RPE, which stands for rated perceived exertion. So really simply, on a scale of one to 10, if 10 is failure, my clients know this very well, 10 is impossible and one is super easy, where would it be? That relates to the intensity. Okay, and then we have our frequency. Frequency is how we organize volume and intensity through that week and how often we train or how many muscle groups we train or how often we train that muscle group. So all of these three facets have a massive relationship with each other. Now to put this into context, this is where it starts to become a little bit more savvy or this is where it can fall down. So say we have your typical bro. So go in the gym. We all know them, it's chest Mondays, and they smash one muscle group and they annihilate it. And then they wait a whole seven days and then they train chest again. Now there's nothing wrong with that per se, but if we look at over time, periodization, it's probably not gonna be the smartest way because they're gonna wait a whole seven days before they come round and do that muscle group again. Where, what if they just eased back on the intensity a little bit increase their frequency to train that muscle group two to three times a week. And the reason why we wanna train two to three times a week is because from studies and meta-analyses and what we know is as natural athletes, training two to three times a week frequency enhances our MPS, which is muscle protein synthesis. So our ability to metabolize and create more muscle over time is gonna be more desirable. Now, a lot of people go, well, that's, that's a lot, Alex. But if we then go and split our body parts up collectively, so instead of just going, well, I'm just going in and annihilate chest, what if I just did upper body? So I did a little bit of upper body, I did my chest, I did my shoulders, I did my back, did a little bit of arms. But I didn't do so much that I was destroyed after the workout, so then, two or three days later, I could come back and do it again. I might do a few more exercises, but I'll, I'll still train that muscle group. We might even train different ref ranges. Therefore, you've trained those muscle groups twice a week. So if we looked at it in a zoomed out version of, okay, so if someone trains one muscle group one time per week, and let's just say they, they do train every week, so it's 52 weeks in the year, they've trained that muscle group 52 times. Where someone who's done it twice has trained it 104 times, okay? So double the amount. But then we go, well, oh, so more is better, Alex. Not necessarily. But if you think about, if we added the total volume of those two sessions together, collectively, they'd probably equal more than the one. Or over time, they would equal more than the one. Your body can only handle a certain amount of stress at one time before it goes, I'm out, I'm done. And again, we're thinking about the big picture. So we're thinking about, okay, I'm gonna train this muscle group today, but I still wanna come in and A, try my other muscle group tomorrow. I still wanna come in the next few days and train it again. And I still wanna come in next week and improve. Where if we just go balls to the wall straight away, like a lot of people do and kill themselves, chances are you're probably not gonna walk in a few days later. And then there's another reason not to go to the gym. Cause I'm sore, cause I'm tired, cause I'm fatigued. And that's how injury happens. Because very often, no one really ever overtrains. Overtraining is when you do too much training, what we call overreaching, too much volume, too much intensity, too much frequency to the point where we have adverse negative effects. So we might get injuries, we might not be able to sleep properly. We might lose the ability to recover. Our muscles are chronically sore. 
So we have what's called DOMS, which stands for Delayed Onset of Muscle Soreness. And we've all experienced it, whether it's in the gym or doing something that we didn't realize would make us sore. And it might be a bike ride that you went with a friend and you're not ridden for a while. And the next day you're like, oh, that made me a little bit sore. And it's just because we're not conditioned to it over time. However, as we'll talk about later, it's not just a gauge of how well you worked out. That's just the body adapting over time. So we don't always need to be so sore that we can't move. Again, we want to think about the big picture. Now, in terms of some recommendations, and we're going to context this a little bit more at the end, with volume, 40 to 70% of your volume wants to be done in a moderate rep range. So you want to be doing that with your main muscle groups. You want to be doing that with your big compound exercises, etc. And again, this is all summarized in the notes as well. So 40 to 70 sets, uh, reps, sorry, per muscle group. So for example, say I did five sets on my first five by five on my bench press. And then later on in the week, I'm going to do a dumbbell flat bench press. Okay, and I might do another five sets or four sets. That's the totality of sets and reps. And this will be explained a little bit more in the email. So you're adding all your sets and reps up. So if you just follow a basic structured training regime, you'll notice every time you do a muscle group, it'll be anywhere between three sets to five sets max. There's a reason for that. It's based on all of these theories and evidence over time. So when you add those up, again, if you are only doing one day, you're probably only gonna do maybe 10 sets where if you do that two to three day frequency, you get to that 40 to 70 rep set mark, which again, enhances your total volume. So you put more stress, more total volume on the body, therefore it has to adapt. Because we could go in and we could train really hard, really intensely for a couple of minutes, but we can't then do much more. So if we look at the total amount of volume we've accumulated, it becomes then very small. So we feel like we've smashed ourselves because we've destroyed our central nervous system. Okay, we've gone really intense, but the actual total volume is very low. So therefore, the adaptation or the stress and stimulus, the demand has is, is been removed. That's why sometimes you'll see someone who's very strong, take the Japanese Olympic lifters, they're not super muscular, they're very lean, but they're not huge, but they lift a lot of weight because they learned the skill of strength, but they're missing the volume aspect of what a bodybuilder would have or someone who wants to gain muscle mass or in females' cases, still gain muscle mass, but have a more lean, toned, athletic physique. In terms of intensity, two-thirds of that, okay, you want to be in the one to six rep range or the six to 12 rep range. So this goes now more to strength athletes versus powerlifters. So my clients will know if they look in their programming, their big heavy lifts at the start, the big compound movements like your squat, your bench, your dead, compound movements are multiple joint movements and multiple muscle groups. So for example, think about a squat, I'm moving multiple joints, I'm using multiple muscle groups versus a bicep curl where it's just a single joint isolation exercise. We can know by common sense that the squat is probably gonna be a little bit more demanding because we're using more muscle groups, we're creating more fatigue, okay? We're using more joints. Where the bicep curl, even though it's hard and we really feel it in that muscle and it burns, we can recover quite fast because after a minute we're like, oh yeah, cool. Bit of a pump, but I can go again. Where the squat, you're kind of like, Whew. maybe give me two minutes. And we'll talk about rest times in a little bit as well. So if your goal is more strength, you wanna be down at the lower rep range. And if your goal is to build more muscle, lose more weight, expend more calories, you might wanna be up in the six to 12 rep range. Now, if we look at a scale between one to 15 reps, 
we can collectively term them as between one and three is more power. Anywhere between your three to six is more of your strength. And then anywhere between your six to 12 is more hypertrophy, which is just a fancy name for muscle building. And then 15 is more endurance because that relates to the energy systems which are used throughout those ranges of motion. So if you do three reps with something, depending on how heavy it is, chances are you're not gonna be really out of breath because you've just used your ATP, CP. So think Sprinter, it's really powerful. It stands for anandenosine triphosphate creatine phosphate. So when we eat food, it converts it into ATP, and that's what we use as fuel. And then we have our creatine phosphate, which is why if some of you've heard of the supplement creatine, we supplement with that because we can't get enough of it in our food, so it can top our stores up. So when we lift heavy weights, we deplete those little stores of creatine and ATP, and then they fill up in between each set. But sometimes, if you don't have enough rest, that's why you think, I feel good, I get under the bar, and can't do many reps because we still need a little bit more time which we'll talk about a little bit later to refuel that then we have our second energy system which is our anaerobic which is our musculoskeletal so think about anywhere between five to ten seconds all the way up to 15 maybe 20 seconds maximum where you're not going to be really puffing but the muscles start to fatigue you start to build some lactic acid up okay so you might start to get a bit of aerobic activity in there you might start to get a bit of a puff up but again you're not like completely out of breath and then we have our aerobic energy system and that's anything over 30 seconds so then we look at like endurance based athletes so that kind of has some correlation over to the rep range but also again the intensity now it's not to say that we can't build muscle in different rep ranges like for example if i do 30 reps i'm not going to get big no because if i'm on a say a leg press movement and that leg press is controlling my range of motion and I can do 30 reps at 200 kilos and that's a heavy enough weight because of the force production, which I'm gonna go over later, I'm still probably gonna get stronger at some point and I'm gonna get bigger because I've caused enough distress, enough demand, I've accumulated a lot of volume, especially if I back that up with other sets and repetitions and exercises. And then we look at frequency. So again, from what we know, we wanna be looking at two to three times per week frequency. So we wanna train every muscle group two to three times a week. Now this is all again, recommendations and considerations for what we know is generally better. From legitimate studies, from some of the best practitioners and peers in the industry, and you can go to muscle and strength pyramids for some of the guys or the masterminds behind these concepts. Again, I am just communicating this information and putting it across in a way from my experience, okay? we know that two to three times a week is more strategic, it's more intelligent, especially if we wanna maximize our results. Because it doesn't matter whether you're a performance athlete or whether you wanna be the best of the best, everyone wants to make the most of their time. And why would we not just work smarter? We can work hard, but if we're not working smart, what's the point? Imagine coming to the gym two or three days a week, getting even more out of it, and then spending less time in the gym and more time perhaps doing something else that you may enjoy more or you might have a passion or career, but still be able to forward and progress your training, your physique and your health. Grab the low hanging fruit first and then if you fall in love with it, then do your five, six day a week splits, then start jacking everything up and then think about stepping on stage if that's what you wanted to do. But for most people and for the most part, it doesn't need to be overcomplicated. We can keep it simple. So we wanna make sure that we're maximizing our efforts in the gym and working smarter, not just harder. 
And again, this is all explained in the document that you'll get through, and we're gonna put more context as we go. So if you're sitting there at the minute and you're thinking, I don't know the hell what he's talking about, that's okay. We're gonna explain it further as we go. It's all gonna come into context. And then we look at progression, step three. So what is progression? Progression is everything, really. Progression is making progress, getting better or making progress from the start point over time. Now, the reason why we do anything is progress. Because if you were to turn up at your new job on Monday and they said, right, this is as good as you're ever gonna get. This is all you're gonna do. You're gonna stay right here. You're gonna do the same job and you're not gonna get any better. You'd probably walk out the door, or at least I hope you would. And that's the same with anything in life. Imagine if it was, you're always just gonna be this big you're gonna be this intelligent, you're gonna earn this much money, you're gonna have this many friends, life would be boring. It wouldn't work. So we always strive for progress. But what we forget as humans is that progress comes in many different forms. Progress is not just more weight on the bar, because that's what it's thought of. When we train in the gym, everyone, especially guys, we're all guilty of this, we just wanna put more weight on the bar all the time. And we might be able to do that as a beginner. We might be able to just come in week after week and put more weight on the bar because it's new, we're learning a skill, and there's so many little adaptations which is happening in the body. If we all went and did something that none of us have done tomorrow, we might not be brilliant at it, but we'd all make a lot of progress really fast. Whether that was playing chess or origami or whatever it was, we'd just all get really good fast. We might not be brilliant, but we'd make so much progress because it's new and we're learning all these little skills. And that's what happens when we walk in the gym. You can go in, you can do anything. And people go, oh, I know what I'm doing, I got results. And it's like, well, maybe. And then they hit a wall and they try to put more weight on a bar and then it gets frustrating. And they're like, how am I actually gonna progress? So then they might go lighter and they just do more reps and then they're killing themselves. And again, it all comes back to the volume, intensity and frequency. It now takes a little bit more strategy. Look at anyone, anything or any skill at the top or at intermediate to advanced level and you need a little bit more than just the basics. The basics might be the best if you master them, but then you need to know how to manipulate them into your favor. So when we look at progression, we wanna talk about the law of more. What is the law of more? The law of more relates to how do you do more work over time? If you can do more work in its totality, in the total, in the gym, you're gonna have a bigger, faster, stronger, more athletic, more fitness, whatever it is you're training for, physique, results, okay? So you need to do more work over time. Now, if we can't just put weight on the bar, what are other forms of progression within the realms of in the gym? Because that's what we're talking about here. We're gonna get specific. Well, if we can't put weight on the bar, what if we do more sets? Yeah, so that equals more volume, but then we can also do more repetitions. We might get more proficient at the skill. So we might get better at that exercise. We might be able to feel and manipulate our muscles more. We might be able to recover faster. We might be able to feel it in those targeted areas and mm, it wasn't quite feeling as good as it does now because I'm better, it's a skill over time, okay? We might recover faster and be able to train again. We might have two, three minutes rest, but now we can have say just one to two minutes. We still need a little bit, but we're better at it. We can achieve more work in less time. So these are all forms of progression. There's many, many forms. And we get very tunnel visioned, especially when we get to a certain age or depending on our goal of just thinking more weight is better. So we do need to keep an eye, we need to keep an eye on that over time. We do need to be lifting more weight or we need to be doing more work. Again, it's bespoke to your goal, but nine times out of 10, you need to be lifting more over time. Not just in one workout, not just at one lift, not just one all out big squat, over time. 
because if we lift more volume, we cause a greater adaptation, our body has to adapt in a more desirable way, and we're gonna get the results that we want. In this case, looking and feeling better at a generalized description. Now, quality versus quantity. This is a really big one. It's a really nice generalized term, but we can apply it to a lot of things. So quality will always win. If we do things in quantity and the quality's not that good, we're probably gonna, again, get injured, we're gonna hit some walls, and we might be doing lots of what we call junk volume. So we might be going in and we might be swinging loads of weight around, but we're not actually really using those muscle groups. We might be using a bit of gravity, we might be using our joints, we might be doing cheating reps, so we're feeling it in our joints. So it's better to sometimes do less with a more qualitative approach, think about if I'm doing this movement, what does this movement work? What muscle groups does it work? Okay, it's meant to work my quadriceps. Do I feel it in my quadriceps now, the day after, during, etc.? Yes or no? Perhaps the machine's set up wrong. Perhaps the exercise is not right for you. Perhaps you're just rushing it or you've not been shown. We all assume that because the gym is a public place that we all just go in and we know what we're doing. Now we do have exercises and machines that help us and that's what the machines are there for. The machines that guide our range of motion help us get proficient in the movements, but we're all individual. So does that machine, when they build those machines, do they go, right, we're gonna build it for someone this big, this big, this big, this big, no. They just might have looked at scientific evidence, they looked at machines that were made before, they looked at a certain range, they probably looked at an average and they made that machine bespoke to that person. And then sometimes it has a bit of a description, it works lats, and this is what to do, and this is don't overload this, and no one ever reads it, let's face it, all right? That's, you don't go in and I'm gonna read the instructions on the gym today, that just doesn't happen. But then again, no one shows you either, because usually that service is not offered in a gym, it's assumed, you go in and cool, you've paid your membership, go for it. We have some trainers, but go for it. So really, I think that being taught how to do the basic lifts, which is what we're gonna do in the upcoming masterclass, should be paramount. Because otherwise, really, you're kind of setting someone up to fail. You're giving them a loaded gun in many ways. Because even though you might think that lifting is not that dangerous, it can be, especially if you don't do it right. And that can give someone a really bad experience, and then they go, you know what, that always hurts. And that's why a lot of people don't do these big movements like the squat variations or the deadlift variations, because oh, I'm gonna pull my back out. And you see these horrible stories in YouTube, you see people like destroying their knees. But look at the people who are doing that. One, they're usually doing way too much weight. Two, they've not been shown how to do it. Or again, they're ego lifting. They're trying to do something which is completely unsafe. And the reality of it is, none of that stuff will ever really happen at that extreme edge. But again, it will put you off, okay? So having that guidance to springboard you, say you were going snowboarding. You never snowboarded before. We've got lessons, cool, I'll take a lesson. This is how you turn it, this is how you stop, this is how you go, great. You might not be a pro, but at least you've got the basics. And the basics are the best. And those things will set you up for success so you can have a more enjoyable experience in the gym, but then you can also get more out of it as well. You can actually come in and go, at least I know how to use this, this, and this machine. I feel a bit more confident. It's not a big alienated jungle. You don't feel like people are watching you and you're able to actually get results. So it's a win, 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 win in every way. And again, with quality comes quantity. So the more, and again, this is the irony, the more quality we have, generally the more quantity we can actually assimilate because our body is able to then do more work because we're doing it properly. Where if we never quite get the hang of something, we're always gonna be banging our head on the wall and we're not gonna be able to progress past that point because a lot of this is a skill. 
And it's the same whether it's in a job, you wouldn't expect to just come in and go, right, cool, here's your new job, accountant, you know what to do. You might have had some studying, you might have had some experience, but you had all of those skill sets ready. And then it was implemented. But again, in a gym, it's just assumed. And that's just the way society's put us. It's put us that, hey, you know what to do. You've seen it on the news, you've seen people work out, just watch everybody else. But the fact of the matter is that most people haven't been taught to learn properly. I know for a fact that people say, oh, I just watch you, Alex. Or just watch people in the gym and I just copy them. That's good and bad. One, it might give them an idea and it might be better than doing nothing. But two, they're probably picking up other people's bad habits. And it's not to say that I've got a brilliant habit either. Or it's not to say that they should be even doing what I'm doing. So if I say, well, should you train exactly like me or should you train like Joe? And why would you do that exercise over there? When you ask people why, they don't really know. Again, it's not their fault. They've not been given the guidance and the support. So to recap on progression, when we look at progression, I want you to look at it now from a more holistic point of view. It's not just about more weight on the bar. It's not just about one thing, sets, reps. It's about all of those things over time. Every time you go in the gym with your program, you should be making progress in some way, shape or form. So keep an open mind, think, does it feel better today? Am I fitter? Can I do another rep? Can I do another set? Have I got a little bit stronger? Can I achieve it in less time? And you know what? You're gonna have your good days and you're gonna have your bad days. And if you do have a bad day, don't worry about it. Because that's one day in your whole lifting career. That might even be one week. And in the grand scheme of things, that's a very small amount of time. Because again, we're in this with a big picture, right? We want the long-term results. We want this to be sustainable. We don't just wanna look really good for like, 12 weeks and then blow out again because that's not health that's not fun that's not really good for anybody so then we move on to exercise selection number four so we've learned about okay adherence how many days a week can i go to the gym three days a week cool i can commit to that i know i can do it volume intensity frequency okay i'm going to train two upper body days two lower body days or it might be one full body day one lower body day one upper body day so we've trained every muscle group two to three times a week. I've got most of my volume, again, at the start of the week in the full body, I've got my heavy lifts, and then I've got my more higher rep ranges at the end of the week in the lower and upper body splits, okay? And then progression. Now I go in and I go, cool, it's not just about the weight over time, I can work within my sets and reps, I can improve my quality, my rest time, my movements, cool, this is good. So what exercise do I use to fill that? What exercise should I choose? And again, that all comes down to what your goal is. Now, once again, specific to the gym, we wanna be looking more at those big compound movements because again, we get more value. So when we go in the gym, we could do a lot of isolation work, but again, if we look at volume, frequency, intensity, we're not really accumulating much work with that. We're not working many energy systems. We're kind of taking it easy. So the best thing to do was, depending on our skill, would be to go and seek out the bigger movements. And again, you might be up to the things like machines. You might have to do leg presses, etc. You might have to use hack squats or Smith machines just to get you in that rhythm. Or you might know how to do a squat, a deadlift, a bench press, a pull, a row. These bigger movements which cause more demand and acclimate more volume. That way, when you go in and you do that exercise, you can even do your first exercise and go, well, I've pretty much worked all of my muscle groups and full body. I've primarily isolated upper or lower depending on the day but I've got more out of it. And I might do another compound after that, and then I might do two or three more isolation. So I've got my big movements, and I've coupled them with my isolation movements, and I've covered all of my muscle groups, I've trained all of my energy systems, and I've acclimated as much volume as I can, 
but I can still come in two days later because I'm not completely smashed and I can do it again. Or I can do the same again with some variations of those exercises. So for example, if we look at our compound movements, we want to choose 50, 50, between 50 to 80% of our total volume should be done in those one to two movements at the start. So those really big movements. And my clients know what I'm talking about here. When we look at our programming, the first movements you do every day, they should be the biggest movements, okay? They're the ones that are gonna give you the most adaptations, they're gonna accumulate the most volume, they're gonna give you the most um, bang for your buck, if you like, the most value. So for example, you wanna really go in and do a leg extension and pre-fatigue your quads if then you're gonna get under a squat. People go, but it makes it harder. And they go, it does. But why would you wanna make your first exercise harder when one, it's hard enough on its own, and two, you're probably gonna increase your risk of injury on a high risk movement, but then also you're gonna limit your total volume because if I've already done loads of leg extensions and then I go and do a squat, I'm probably not gonna be able to get as many and I'm probably gonna be a bit wobbly. And again, if we think about now volume, intensity, and frequency and how important that is, it doesn't really make sense to pre-fatigue a muscle group and then go and hammer it because now we know totality of volume, not just how hard we're working, that's not important. We can make anyone sweat, but we've got to think about the big picture once again. And then for our isolation exercises, they're gonna fill about 25 to 50%. So after you've done your one to two, depending on how advanced you are, maybe three compound movements, you're gonna couple those with isolation. So isolation, again, single joint movement, isolating one muscle group, think curls, you might go tricep pushdowns, cable flies, anything where you're just moving in a single joint motion, isolating, hence the name, one specific muscle group. Compounds, multiple muscle groups, multiple joint movements, very taxing, high risk, high fatigue, takes a long time to recover. Isolation, okay, low risk, low fatigue, fast recovery, okay, because again, it's a smaller movement, there's a bigger movement. If we look at specificity now, so for example, if our goal is all out strength versus, again, hypertrophy or building muscle, or maybe it's just getting fitter, we're gonna have a different distribution of the way we do those things. So for example, if we're more of a strength-based athlete or we have more of an interest in strength, we might have more compound movements in there and then we might have less isolation exercises. Because if we're a strength-based athlete, we're probably gonna do more volume on our bigger lifts, so we can accumulate more volume and get stronger. And then we're just gonna do a few little isolations because we don't wanna over-fatigue those muscles for the next day that we come in. But for most of you here, because I know you're not powerlifters per se, we wanna be doing more of that work in spread across the compound movements and then into the isolation exercises as well over time. So I always think, what is, what is my goal? What I'm actually trying to achieve? And to put it into context, think about a top athlete in any sport. Look at a sprinter, look at an endurance runner, look at a swimmer, look at a javelin thrower, look at a bodybuilder, look at a gymnast. Look at their physiques at the top of their game. They all have different physiques. You can even Google it and you'll have them all lined up next to each other, male and female, and they all look different. Now that there is the direct correlation to their training, their stress, their stimulus that they've put on their body. It's not an accident that they look that way. Now genetically, we're all a bit different and you'll get like Usain Bolt, you know, he's a bit out of the scope. He's a bit taller for a sprinter. He's not as muscular. 
okay? But he has those attributes, so he's a bit of a crossover, he's a bit of a rule against the law. But for the most part, sprinters look like sprinters, bodybuilders look like bodybuilders, javelin throwers look like javelin throwers, swimmers look like swimmers, because they're designed to be good at their sport. A swimmer, a good testament of a swimmer is they're long, they're lean, they're agile, they're muscular, and they're not really usually short and stocky, because they're carrying a lot of weight, that's not good in the water. That's not good for muscular endurance. Then you look at a powerlifter, someone who usually is a bit more chunky and a bit stronger. They can put more weight behind the bar. They have more fast twitch two muscle fibers. That's why they're bigger. They have different aerobic capacities. So if we think about it like that, it becomes quite obvious to, oh, right, okay. So if I train this way, I look like that. And this is where it comes down to thinking about aligning your goals. So you've got to think about, well, how do I want to look? How do I want to feel? And if I wanna look and uh, feel a certain way, then I've gotta train a certain way. Where most people, when they enter a gym, they go, this is my goal, and they're doing this. So you wanna get strong and you wanna get bigger, but you get up in the morning and do fasted cardio, you do cardio after you work out, and then you're back here doing cardio again, and you've got a full-time job and kids, right? And you do this six days a week, and now you look more tired, you're looking worse over time, you're not losing fat, you're not building strength, you're not building muscle. And I tell you what, I see people in here two to three times a day doing that. Again, it's not their fault, but if they only sat back and had that question asked, or maybe asked themselves that question, it would become quite obvious. And that's where sometimes it takes someone like me, from a different perspective, with a little bit more education in this field, to go, hey look, if that's your goal, you don't necessarily have to do this. Okay, but again, society, misconceptions, other people do it, they get on, they do their weights, they hit their protein shake, they go on the cardio machine, that's what I gotta do. I have to live that, <coughs> excuse me, that life. Or I've gotta grind 24 seven, people think, you know, I should be suffering, where really, you shouldn't be. Exercise is gonna be challenging, but it shouldn't be impossible. And if it's not fun, we're doing it wrong. So we, again, it comes back to working smarter. There are gonna be times where you will push a little bit harder. And again, depending on your goals and the athlete, that'll be in the competition preparation period, not all the time. Because again, sustainability is key. If we're going balls to the walls all the time, we can't sustain that. There's no one out there that does. Even the top athletes, you see them grinding, that'll be a specific time where they go through that phase. But there's times where we've got to work smarter, we're still working hard, but we're working smart and we're spreading that volume. And that's where periodization comes in. So when we look at spreading it out, if we will look at say like a swimmer or a bodybuilder, we have a GPP, which is a general preparation period, which is the longest, biggest bout of training. That's when we're learning acquisition, we're building volume, we're doing all the things we need to at a whole. And then we go into an SPP, a specific preparation period. That's where we go, what is specific to the athlete? Let's take CJ for example, he's a swimmer. Okay. So he needs to be quick, he needs good aerobic capacity, he needs to be agile and powerful in the water. Okay, he's very strong at freestyle swimming, so we need to make sure, like, what can we kind of emulate in the gym, or what can we do that has a crossover? So we look at exercises, we look at training methods, rest periods that are more bespoke to that. So then when CJ gets in his CPP, competition preparation period, when he jumps in the pool, that's all crossed over. So he's got a baseline strength and conditioning. He's worked specifically on his attributes or movements that are similar, that have an acquisition or a crossover. So when he does do his competition, he's got those movements, he's got that enhanced performance. So it sounds really simple when we explain it. You wanna get better at squats? Squat more, right? You wanna get better at lifting deadlifts? Deadlift more. 
at the very base of it, and then it becomes organized, etc. So specificity is really key when we're looking at those sorts of things. Now, to put a bit of context for those of you who just want to body recomp, so Alex, I just want to lose a bit of fat, want to gain a bit of muscle, I just want to look and feel better. Again, let's derive those principles that still work for the athletes, that still work for the majority of people, but let's just tone them down a little bit. Perhaps we don't have to go as intense, we don't have to train as much, but we're still gonna abide by those same laws and we're gonna get that desired result and we're gonna make it bespoke to you. All right, you can't do a squat, we'll do a hack squat. You can't do a leg press, okay, we'll change it. We'll do something else, we'll do a Bulgarian split squat. So oftentimes it comes down to common sense. But you said to me, Alex, I need to squat, deadlift and bench. Yeah, but if you can't do it, and we're not a powerlifter, we don't have to do it. So let's just do something else, accumulate volume there. What can we do that's enjoyable, pain-free, and we can progress over time? Because the person who is able to do that, even though his program on paper or her program might not be like perfect, but if they're progressing over time, who's winning? The person progressing or the person banging their head against the wall, getting injuries, trying to do movements that they think they need to do because of the paper says, but in real life, they can't do it. Well, sometimes we have to go, hang on, take a step back. Progress, okay? Comes back to those main principles, adherence. So now let's move up to rest periods because this is a bit of a confusing one. Most people in the gym, they'll come in and I'll just smash it out, bam, 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 bam. And there's multiple reasons for that. Again, they, they don't really know or they're probably training pretty easy. They think they're training hard because their heart rate's up, but really they could probably be lifting more weight, they could be lifting it better and they're just trying to get in, get out and get it done. And that's okay, if you don't love the gym, you don't have to sit there and marinate in it, but you wanna give yourself a little bit of an opportunity to lift a certain amount of weight and get the most out of your time in the gym. Because there's no point in turning up to the gym and paying a membership three times a week if you're not getting anything. Oh, but I'm enjoying it, I'm happy. Yeah, well that's good, that is really good. And you should do that, but let's face it, we're here for results, right? We're all in the gym to get results. There's not one person, if I asked, do you want to get results from the gym would say, no, I'm just happy going through the motions, <laughs> right? But the fact of the matter is most people are going through the motions. Again, that's where someone with a bit more experience or perhaps training with a friend, having a bit of accountability or having a trainer comes in handy because they give you that leap up. They give you that accountability. They give you that push that you might need at the end of the day. They give you the roadmap. You're still doing the effort, but they might provide the tools and the direction to be able to get where you need to go. For our big compound movements, once again, we've sort of touched on this. If that's the biggest, most taxing movements that we do, it does make sense that we're probably gonna need a little bit more rest. And like I explained to you before with the mechanical aspect of it, with the ATPCP, the reason why we need that little bit more rest is because it is more taxing, it's more demanding. It's gonna hit our central nervous system a little bit more. That's why sometimes when we do a big movements, I say, where do you feel it? And you might go, well, I kind of felt it everywhere, Alex. Where if I sit you on an isolation leg extension, where do you feel it? I feel it here. It's very apparent. So it almost kind of is a bit counterintuitive. And then the next day or an hour later, you feel really fatigued. And that will be more the compound movements because again, it's working different energy systems. It's more fatiguing. Because there's so much going on, especially if you're a new lifter, you might not be able to ascertain what muscle groups you feel it in until the next day when the delayed onset of muscle soreness, DOMS, kicks in where on the isolation, isolation exercise, you feel it straight away, but then about a minute or two and it goes, and then you can do it again. Where with the compound movement, you need that little bit more time just to recover, to be able to get those reps out. So a recommendation again for compound, your big movements at the start, anywhere from two to five minutes. 
Now, when you're a beginner, you'd probably be able to get in and go and go and go because you're not lifting that much weight, you're still learning the skill, it's new, you can adapt. But as you start to acclimate more volume, you start to get more proficient, you start to lift heavier weights, which is custom to you. Everyone's got a different rep range and a different weight that's heavy for them. You're gonna need to take that a little bit longer. All right, cool, I need, a, I need a bit more rest now before I go in. Have a bit of a drink, move around what it is. So again, this is just a recommendation. Depends on the type of athlete. A big power lifter who's lifting in an intensification phase a lot of weight is probably gonna have up to five minutes plus in between their rest periods. For most of us, we're gonna need maybe two to three. We're not gonna need that much because we're not all out just lifting super heavy weights. Because again, we're not trying to be power lifters. We still wanna get stronger, but again, we wanna improve body recomposition and fitness and general conditioning over time. So then we move into our isolation exercises, which is a little bit shorter. One to three minutes. Again, you're on an isolation, you get a bit of cardiovascular capacity going on, you're using your aerobic and anaerobic energy systems, you might need you know, a little bit less time because the movement is not as taxing. Even though you start to breathe a little bit more, within a minute, it's not caused as much central fatigue, so therefore you can get back on and you can take that one a little bit heavier, or you can take that one a little bit faster, if you like, I should say. So what you'll find again with compound movements is, as I mentioned before, they're, they're really fatiguing. They're really high risk, okay, because there's a lot going on. You don't have a lot of support from the machine. There's a lot that can go wrong in the movement. And that's why when we talk about training to failure, which is what we, lot of see, what we see a lot of people do in the gym, like people go, ah, and they're smashing it out. Training to failure is not a good idea because when we train to failure, it increases the risk of injury. Okay, it increases the longevity of our recovery time so we can't come in again. And it also decreases our amount of total volume. So if I said I had two people here now and they were the same exact people, they were both clones, and I said, right, you've got to squat 60 kilos, you've got to squat 60 kilos. I want person A to squat to complete failure. So just a side note on failure, there's mechanical failure and then there's mental failure. Mental failure is where you give up here. Mechanical failure is true failure, when your muscles cannot push anymore. They are out of oxygen, they're out of ATP, they're done, that's it, they're gone. So I get person A to squat to true failure, and I, got, I get person B, I go, right, that's 60 kilos as well, that's what we've worked out, it's say 12% of their one RM, so they should be able to get 12 to 15 reps out. So I say, look, I want you to get between 12 and 15 reps, but I want you to go to failure. This person, gets maybe 25 to 30 reps and hits failure, drops the bar and hits the floor, and they're fatigued. Person B stops at 12, they're fatigued, okay, that was enough, probably back to the RPE scale, about an eight, maybe a nine, they sit down and they have a drink. Next set comes around, and I say, right, both of you, I want you to do the same now. You're gonna go for 12 to 15, you're gonna go to 12 to 15. Is this person gonna be able to get 12 to 15 now not only for that set, but if we're doing two more sets and then we've got all the other workouts to do, is he gonna be able to get through it as well? He might, but he's gonna struggle. And then he's gonna come in again two days later, all right? So this person has effectively lifted more volume, but not destroyed themselves. So they're still able to accumulate more, but then they're able to push through. Performance has still not been completely destroyed. They've still got acquisition, so they're not gonna be jelly and walking or going out the way. They're gonna enjoy the experience because they go, Alex, you know, that was challenging, but yeah, you know, after a day's rest, I come back and I do it. But this person's gonna probably, I'm see you later, right? I'm, I'm not gonna, that's terrible, that's horrible. I have to do that every time, it's a trade or failure. It's 
no, thank you very much. But that's what people do. And it's usually the younger crowd, again, it's us men in there, we're grinding it out and we're doing reps and reps, right? And it doesn't have to be that way, okay? One, we, we wanna train it, we wanna be a little bit smarter. So take a little bit more rest, okay? It all comes down to your skill level. And when you are training to a failure, if some of you, and I know, cause I know some of you watched that story I did on Instagram yesterday, I basically talked about in the compound movements, that's when you don't take it to a failure, okay? Because there's a lot that can go wrong. You've got a big bar on your back, or you might be lifting a bar, or you know, you're doing a leg press. You don't want to take that to a failure. You do your reps, you get in, you get out. But then you've got your isolation work, like your leg extensions, and there's not really a lot that can go wrong apart from just gonna drop the weight and it's on the machine. And again, the central fatigue is a lot less. So that's when we can, if we want to, that's when we can push. Because we know that they're gonna recover. They're gonna recover in a couple of days, especially if we've been training for around a month and you'll be able to come back in, accumulate more volume. You've not injured yourself or had a bad experience on the compounds lifts, but you've still been able to kind of take it to that next level if you really want to. And yeah, I've really felt like I pushed and I sweat, but you've not caused yourself harm. So that just comes back to training intelligence and understanding the priorities and periodization as a whole. The last thing we're gonna talk about before I hand it over to you is tempo. And there's, there's a lot of misconceptions about tempo. Now, in its entirety, just lift weights. That is literally it. But I need to give you some context because it's too generalized. So what I mean by that is people go, oh, you know, you've got to do two, two seconds down, three seconds up, time under tension, this, that, and the other. Now, if time under tension relates to how long that muscle is under tension. So you'll see people in the gym and they might do it with a barbell, they might do it with a dumbbell, and they'll hold that tension, they'll go really slow, and they'll do maybe three or four reps, and they might use a really light weight. And they'll go, oh, I've destroyed the muscle, it's hard. There's a problem with that. And that's force, mechanical tension. There needs to be enough force on that muscle for it to grow. Because if that were the case, I could walk around with this pen all day, and I'd be absolutely massive. Right? I could just put some ankle weights on and I'd have jack legs. It doesn't work, that's too easy. A good example is, you may have heard of, I know George will have, NASA. When people go to space, or the astronauts go to space, they do have exercise, they have regimens that they do. And you might have seen little videos where they're on these machines, and you're like, what are they doing up there? Because gravity is different, oxygen is different, the environment is different, gravity's pull on Earth is different than it is on different planets or when you're in space. So therefore, the force production on the muscles is different. You could lift more weights in space because gravity's different, right? But that also creates less of a demand for muscle tissue to be there. So by doing these exercises with the, exercise with the astronauts, they're trying to cause a little bit of fatigue, a little bit of tension, a little bit of force on the muscle, so the muscle goes, we still need to be here. Otherwise, they, what we call atrophy, they start to disappear, they start to eat into themselves, they start to you know, break down, if you like, because there's no demand for them. And again, if the astronauts are not eating enough food, and hey, let's face it, their main goal up there is not squatting 200 kilos, it's probably to assess extraterrestrial life or to do testing or whatever it might be in the realms of uh, astronomy. So it's very, very different, but a good example nonetheless. So when we look at that, the bro might go, well, oh, I'm doing five seconds down and it's so hard and I'm getting a sick pump and it's like, yeah, great. But you've used a five reps. I've used 20 kilo dumbbells. I've done four sets of 12 to 15 reps. Who's accumulated more volume? Therefore, who has or who is going to get more adaptation? Me. So you might get a sick pump 
or you might be able to think, oh, it's really hard, but you've robbed yourself of the volume because you've pre-fatigued yourself. So it doesn't mean that you want to go as fast as possible and get as many out. It means that whatever pace and tempo you decide to lift at, it is safe, it is efficient, and it is effective. So for example, if I'm just dropping the weight and lifting it up, I'm, I'm just using gravity, so my muscles are not working. I'm going to hit the joint on the way down, say this is a bicep curl, so I'm missing 50% of that volume. And I could probably cause a bit of injury because I'm saying to my muscles, right, just let it go and then catch it. And it's the same with the squat where we want to control that way. We don't want to go too slow. We don't want to go too fast, but as long as we're controlling it. And then also we might be training for something like power. So if we have a sprinter or someone who wants explosive speed, strength and speed together, or strength and, um, yeah, strength and speed, sorry, equal power. So if we train, okay, something that is a heavy weight and we do it with speed, we create power, which is that explosiveness. It's the ability to generate force through load, okay? But for most of us, again, we don't necessarily need that, so just lift weights. Think about it. Am I controlling it on the way down, on the way up, on the way down, on the way up, on the way down, on the way up, or whatever exercise it might be? So when we have a muscle contraction, we have the eccentric phase, Okay, and we have the concentric. So in a bicep curl, that is the lengthening phase is the eccentric and the concentric is the shortening. Now we can always lift and tolerate more volume, more strength, more force, we can generate more on an eccentric, which is a lengthening. So for example, say a wall was to fall on you and say this wall wasn't like a massive, huge stone brick wall. It might even be a car. You could probably resist it a little bit or a tree before it would crush you but you wouldn't be able to push it off you. So you can always resist a little bit more. So you might see people in the gym, bench press is a big one. They'll control it on the way down, they'll have all this weight on, they'll have their mate rip it off them. <laughs> all yours, bro. And you know, they let him on the way down, right? You say, yeah, yeah, because they're trying to do what they call, it's called the negative training or the eccentric training phase. They're overloading that phase of the movement, which is where most of the muscle damage occurs, which creates a demand for muscle growth. Hence why it is a bit of a fad in a phase where it's a type of training and it is a tool which has its place to create more muscle damage. But once again, do we wanna create loads of muscle damage if our goal is to accumulate volume over the week, over the block? We might not wanna destroy ourselves in that one session. We might be better to spread the volume over the week so we can come in, enjoy it, recover, do it again, do it again. Add a little bit, add a little bit, add a little bit. Now, of course, there's a lot more and there's many facets to all of these and there's much more sort of advanced mechanisms. But for the most part, this is the basic. These are the basic principles, the basic protocols. And again, it's gonna be bespoke to you. For the most part, it is simple. You don't have to overcomplicate it. The more advanced tools and principles come out as you become more advanced with your training but it never really has to be that hard. So if you can get your head around the basic principles and go, well, I don't need to understand force and velocity relationship. But if I understand that, cool, first of all, I've got to be able to turn up to the gym as many times as I can and enjoy. Then I'm going to think about, okay, I know that I've got to lift a certain amount over time within given rep ranges, train my muscle groups at least a couple of times a week, choose exercises which are bespoke to me, which are going to give me the most value rest at least a little bit on my big exercises and not fatigue myself. And when I'm lifting the weights, make sure that I'm in control. That's literally it. So in terms of considerations for tempo, again, just lift weights. Don't overthink it. Don't try and go too slow. 
Don't try and go too fast. Use good technique, good form, and once again, think about how am I feeling it in the targeted muscle groups? So I wanna hand it over to you now because this is all well and good, me just standing in front of the room telling you all this, but when I first heard of this, I needed a little bit more of an explanation. And I'm obviously someone who's trained for a few years, so I could kind of ascertain it. So I wanna know what's going on in your heads and what you're thinking right now. So I wanna move around the room and I wanna go through individually and ask you if you've got any specific questions, okay? Or if there's anything that you're unsure about and we'll, we'll sort of cover that together and we'll try and answer them live. Now, we're only gonna have so much time and there's only so specific I can make this before I have to sit down and actually tailor this to a person. So, for anyone who does have more in-depth questions, no stress, at the end, please stay behind. And if you want to talk more in depth about your goals, you can organize a consultation with myself. There's no obligation, it's free. I don't charge anything for consultations. It's more about setting expectations, seeing what you want to achieve, aligning your goals, and then seeing it's a good fit as well. But before we get to that, let's move around the room, okay? So CJ, do you want to hit us off? And again, you might not have any specific questions, but maybe if you don't, your interpretation does that make sense or is there anything on there that you're querying that you're like oh, that doesn't really make sense Alex sure I picked on CJ because he's a client of mine straight away all right put him on the spot all right and what about yourself performance and that the last masterclass that was all around nutrition all right but it still is cj's in that academy those videos are bespoke to that but again i've spoke to cj if you want to catch up we can go through that most of it he's across for the basics and again if you sit down and watch those videos it will explain that and to put that into context so that was a question about nutrition so for those of you who are here last time and for those of you who weren't it's the same theme apart from these are different protocols and principles so once again it starts with getting the basics right which is what we're teaching cj which is again behavior and lifestyle and then we're looking at actual energy balance calories in calories out macronutrients, protein, fats, carbohydrates, micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, fiber, etc., and then nutrient timing and then supplementation. So the more advanced CJ gets and the more he can take control of those bottom layers are the when the meal frequency and nutrient timing really comes into play. Because say, for example, we have someone who goes, well, 
I am taking my pre-workout or I'm, I'm eating a meal pre 60 minutes before and I'm eating a meal within 60 minutes after and I'm getting a protein shake and everything and I go cool great um, how many calories do you require I have no idea well then they're putting the cart before the horse because then they're just saying well even though it might be a good idea to make sure you're eating foods around your nutrition or around your training I should say and you do need to make sure you're well fueled and well hydrated around those times especially as you become more advanced if you still don't know how many calories you require and you're not even feeding your body the right amount of energy then all of that's out the window because the protein shake's not going to make the difference if everything else is out of whack does that make sense but again we can make a time to sit down and talk through about that just so then you can be better prepared the cooking masterclass, not next but the, the one after that that'll be the one as well where we're hands-on so you can get an idea of better preparation methods how you can be more efficient with simple foods to again fuel the athlete and yourself and your husband for better health and functionality cool Vicky go for it No, that's, that's it's, and it's a really good question, Vicky. So Vicky asked, if you didn't hear it, how many um, exercises per session, how long should it go for, etc., sets, repetitions. And again, it depends. But again, for recommendations, you probably want at least two to three compound movements coupled with one to three isolation movements. So to give you a little bit more clarity and context, for someone, say, who, like yourself, wants to improve body composition, because we're in the gym environment, you probably want to look at anywhere between minimum two to three days a week training frequency, up to four to five maximum, okay? You want to have upper and lower body splits, or you might even have a what we call legs push-pull, and you want to have at least one to two compound movements with, I'd say, two to three isolation, starting with four to five sets for your compounds maximum, or even three sets, and then three sets, two to three sets for your isolation exercises. Initially, it should take you anywhere from 45 to 60 minutes, and then depending on your goals over time, it may be pushed out just over 60, maybe maximum hour and a half if you are a strength-based athlete, because by the time you warm up and do your big compound movements, and then you get into your what we call accessory, which is more isolation or you know a few of the latter compound exercises, it will take you that much time to transition and get through. But for yourself, uh, to achieve what I would emulate, what, you'd, what you would foresee as desirable, you could still do very, very well with three to four days a week, 45 to 60 minutes, and again, with those recommendations for sets and reps. Does that make sense? Second question. Sure. Um, if you were going to incorporate cardio, it depends on, again, the type of cardio you're doing and your goals. So I wouldn't have anyone doing cardio, especially at the start, unless they needed to. They were an endurance-based athlete. They couldn't do any weight training because it was stressing their joints out. And even then, cardio is probably going to put more weight and stress on the joints depending on the type. So it might have to look like low intensity walking or swimming because it reduces, say for someone who's really overweight, a lot of stress on their joints. So you better to train with the strength and resistance based activity, offset your energy balance with nutrition. Therefore, you'll have a more desirable body composition. You'll 
still utilize all of the um, energy systems in the body. And then if and when you need to, then you can pull cardio out your sleeve. Because cardio is a tool, unless it is something that's bespoke to what you want to do. Unless you're a runner, a trainer, you want to improve fitness, yeah, weights will do the job. And also, when you weight train, when you do lose that weight, you're gonna have that tight, hard, sexy, tone look that women want. Cause it's still, they don't, those things are just descriptive words. There's only muscle, there is only body fat. Where if you do loads of cardio and you'll see it and you probably speak to people, they lose all this weight and they're like, kind of like flabby and like soft. But when someone trains weights, they look hard. They look toned and lifted. That's for a couple of reasons. Muscle mass, okay, because it's hard pulls the skin tighter to the muscle. Also, what it will do is when you train, you'll need carbohydrates to fuel. So that's gonna increase the ability and your storage of what we call glycogen. So carbohydrates broken down into glucose and glycogen stored mainly in the muscle and the liver. With the uptake of glycogen comes the uptake of water. We're 80% water for every one gram of carbohydrate stored. Generally, there's gonna be three to four grams of water in that cell it's gonna make it bigger, it's gonna make it harder. So you're gonna look fuller, okay? You're gonna have a, a different look over time. Where if you're someone who's constantly emptying your stores, doing cardio and you're not eating right, doesn't mean you might not look good, but if you've not trained weights, you're not gonna have that muscle to stimulate or create that look, that tight tone look that most females desire. And I'm not talking about looking really big like a bodybuilder, I'm talking about, again, even that bikini fitness, just nice, aesthetic, sexy, feminine look. So I personally use cardio as a tool. I don't advocate it unless I need to. And again, it all comes down to what are your goals, Vicky? Do I wanna look like an endurance-based athlete or do I wanna look like a physique athlete? And then training like a legitimate physique athlete, mainly putting your time into weights. So if you were doing cardio, you'd only want that to take one third of the time up that you train with weights. So most of your time, two thirds of your time should be spent doing weights. Cardio really, for most people, is a last resort because we can generally offset the balance with nutrition and smart, intelligent training. Make sense? Great. Okay. It, and like wider the priority, etc. Sure. Yeah, you just want to get it done. Mm. Yeah, and sometimes it can be a habit because you sat there and if you're not playing on your phone, you sort of go, oh, I'll do another one. And then you sort of get halfway through and you go, oh, maybe I need a bit more rest. Or it could be conversely that, oh, maybe I need to do a little bit more and make it a little bit harder so I do need a minute rest. That can be another way of gauging as well. Like if you're ready to go within 20 to 30 seconds, you're probably not training at the level you need to be. Saying that, obviously, if you're a beginner, that might be so because you're learning, but I'll bite that we've been in the gym for a few months, you're at that level now where, yeah, you're probably gonna need a minute or so. And that's why we're walking that intensity up over time. So the selection, yeah, makes a lot of I'm glad. Kerry? Mm-hmm, correct. And then I think as I was doing 
like you say, a... Correct. 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 And that's a really good question Kerry brings up. So we've got other tools like supersets, drop sets, antagonist, agonist, paired sets. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. Some of you will be speaking a foreign language, so I'm going to explain it. So when is it appropriate? And we did touch on this a little bit, but it's a really good point you bring up. If we're doing a big compound high risk movement, would that be a good time to superset that with another exercise considering it's the most task? taxing, high risk, high fatiguing, and then now we know that volume is king? Probably not. What about an isolation exercise? So say if I'm doing a leg extension, and then I've got leg curl next on my program, could I superset those two? Yeah, why? A Couple of reasons, one, it's an isolation exercise. Low risk, okay, high recovery. Also, isolation, one muscle group, and then I'm using the opposite muscle group. So agonist relates to the main prime mover, the main muscle group in a movement that's doing the work. So we still have them in the compounds, but again, it's a full body movement. It's a lot going on. And then the opposite muscle group being the antagonist in that scenario. So if I'm doing a leg extension, the quadricep is the agonist. The antagonist is relaxed primarily. It's the hamstring. So then I could go and do hamstrings because that, even though I might need to take a breath, Remember, I'm not an endurance-based athlete. I've been using my primarily anaerobic or ATP. So again, I'm not doing over 30 seconds of work. I can then go on and do my hamstrings. So now I've learned how to train more efficiently. Once again, it's a tool. You don't need to do it, but if say you're short on time, or again, you wanna increase the intensity, you wanna increase your energy output, you wanna to start to tap into that aerobic energy system, you wanna get a bit of a sweat up, keep that heart rate going. It's a good idea to then pair the sets. But on a high risk movement, that's where we'd go, no, the first two or three, or one to two, depending on the program, I'm going to give it my everything, okay? Bespoke to, not going to failure, and I'm gonna have my big rest, and then I'm gonna go back in, because again, we want overall volume, frequency, intensity. So there's a time and a place to push, and that is in the order of priority, bespoke to how hard and demanding the exercise is. Does that make sense? It does. Anything else? No? Good. So yeah, you can superset after you get past the compounds, but once again, springboarding off what Gay said, if you can then go, 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 you're probably not working at a high enough intensity, which means you either have to increase your rep or set, or as you have in your programming, you have a rep target. It might be between, say, 12 to 15. You might go, well, I'm gonna try and do 15, as long as the form's good, or maybe I need to put a bit more weight on, etc or maybe I need to do an extra set. Okay, I definitely need like a minute to two minutes rest. And that's why we always use that RPE scale, which is rated perceived exertion, which is a tool that is not of my own. It's been designed um, in the industry for many years, which is allow, does allow the coach to gauge what the client's perception of the intensity is. And the more advanced the athlete, the more accurate that becomes. And on the opposite side of RPE, we have what we call RIR, which is reps in reserve. Now those tools relate to a concept, what we call auto-regulation, which means automatically regulating your volume. We always wanna have a combination of when we're training, when we look at creating a plan for an athlete or a person, we wanna use those tools aligned with what we call percentage or percentage 1RM programming. Now percentage-based programming gauges based off your 1RM, usually for big compound movements. We say, okay, 
you can lift 100 kilos on a squat for one rep. That's your absolute max. So we're gonna train at between 65 and 85% of that in a given rep range, depending on our goal. So again, we're not quite at failure. We're still training intensely. So it should be about between that at the low end, six RPE, at the high end, eight RPE. So we always leave a little bit in the tank and we progress over time. But when we have a beginner athlete and we have someone new and we learn the skills, they can just adapt, 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 adapt. So there's no point in really giving them too much reliance on percentage-based training because what they just squatted one week ago in four weeks might be just really easy because they've learned the skill. And now they can actually use their muscle groups correctly. So really, their one RM wasn't their one RM because it was more of a skill than a, I don't have enough muscle mass or strength there because they're able to regain that skill. So when we use order regulation, that is, hey, this program is a guide, not gospel. And sometimes you need to get the program and kick it out the window. And you need to listen to your body. The program is there as a guide, okay? So if you feel good and you feel strong, sometimes go more. If you're feeling tired, back off it's better to live to fight another day. And we've also got to remember, well, at the same time, well, like I said, if I feel good, go for it. Don't kill yourself, because then you can't come in later on. And oftentimes, when you start a program, or you start what we call a block, okay? So when we're in periodization, we have micro cycles. So micro cycles are like your one week sort of blocks of training. And then you have your meso cycles, which are the in-between. That might be like a couple of weeks, four weeks, and then you have your macro. Macro meaning big, once again. That might be, eight weeks, six months, usually like a year of training, okay? So we always wanna think what kind of phase are we in at the moment and all right, well, I've gotta leave, you know, this start of my block might be a little bit easier and then as I get to the end, it gets more intense and then we taper or deload where we purposely reduce the volume so we can acclimate and over recover and then we start a little bit higher than we did when we started that block and then we build up again. So over time on a graph, it looks like a wave and it's called wave loading, that is called progression. And we want progressive overload because progression is not linear. It's not gonna be over time. It's gonna come up, it's gonna come down. We're gonna have good days, bad days. But again, we always gotta zoom out and think, what's the big picture? What is the big goal? It's not about one epic workout. It's about what you do most of the time. It's the same with food. It's not about one great meal. It's about what you do most of the time. Consistency. Ladies, questions, queries, concerns? Yeah, go for it. around things so when you're looking at like limitations injuries impingements sometimes you've got to look at well what movements can I do and say at the worst case you can't do anything you know you may have to recover for a period of time but it sounds like you can do something so that might be a case of going in the gym again with someone a bit more experienced or doing a bit of research and trying the more single joint movements like a leg extension or a leg curl so saying standing under a squat rack is gonna require a lot of movement, a certain level of flexibility and skill, it's gonna be quite high risk. You might start on a leg extension, so you're sitting down on a machine and you're going, can I move through that range? Yes. 
Well, when you're doing a, a leg extension, the hamstring may be stretching, but it shouldn't be contracting. So again, you have to think about what actually works. So even sitting down now, can you do that movement? Can you? Yeah. 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 And that, so again, this is where training intelligent comes in and go, well, can we do something? And there's always something we can do. And it might even be in the pool hydrotherapy, moving in the pool, doing things like leg raises, again, knee ups, etc. It reduces the resistance and the, the impact on the joint, but it still allows us to move. If we can move, we can start to build strength. We can start to expend calories. Obviously, the other facet of that is nutrition having obviously a nutritional alignment or an energy intake which is congruent to at this point in time perhaps being in a slight deficit so losing weight or being in a maintenance phase because obviously our energy expenditure might be reduced but it's finding something that you can do and that might be again working with a physio and going hey you know what you can move through these planes of motion you can do hip abduction or whatever you know flexion extension technical terms but basically just moving through different ranges i can do these and then starting with them and progressing them over time. A lot of surgeons and doctors, um, and it's not their fault, they won't really know about these movements. Although they're very intelligent people, they're very specific to identifying and overcoming a certain topic, a certain part of the anatomy. So for example, one of my mentors, Dr. Eric Helms, who um, was one of the creators of the Muscle and Strength Pyramids, he tore his labrum in his hip and he's had to have a bit of surgery. And then he, you know, he got the surgery and after the surgery, you know, they said, uh, you know, Helms, you, Dr. Helms, you, you, you can't, you're not gonna be able to train for X amount of weeks and you're not gonna be able to do this, that and the other. And he said, oh, okay, that's cool. Um, d would I be able to, after four weeks, would I be able to do um, a hip flexion or a, a leg extension? And the surgeon's like, oh, what's that? And he's like, oh, you know, not to be undermining because he's a doctor or something, it's, it's, it's this movement. And the, the surgeon goes, yeah, that, that movement would be fine as long as it doesn't stretch. Okay, what about like a leg extension or a, like an adduction? Could I do that movement? Yeah, because it doesn't load the labrum of the hip. And so yeah, so I could do this, 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 and this. Yes. So now he's gone from doing nothing for six weeks to after, say, so many weeks starting with these basic movements, purely based on the fact that he had the education to go, well, he's telling me I can't do anything that inhibits this. So that's where that basic intelligence comes from. But because obviously we're not all doctors and physicians, that's why, again, you might have to align yourself with a good physio, a good coach, a good practitioner who can say, okay, what's been done? Okay, that part of the anatomy involves these movements these are the movements that are probably gonna we have to avoid or they're gonna antagonize so can we do these other movements which don't aggravate yes we can okay again progression can we do it pain-free yes can we continue to do it yes can we enjoy it and continue to make progress on overtime yes keep doing it hit a wall back it off a little bit what else can we do do this okay a little bit more a little bit more, a little bit more. And before you know it, you build strength. So one of the mo biggest misconceptions after an injury or after a surgery is complete isolation. It's the worst thing you can do because you're then not having any active recovery. There's no blood flow in the site at all and there's no way that you can build strength. And the best thing you wanna do is build strength and mobility back around those movements by again, not going in guns blazing because of course you're gonna get an injury, but by identifying things, movements, activities and exercises, which you can do pain-free and then continuing to progress on those over time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And look, that, but that's better than nothing. And the body will still recognize that as stimulus, which is good. But what I would start to do, 
Oh yeah. So a body's quite clever. If you train one half of it, the other half to some degree will still correlate and cross over. That's why you know that kid that broke his arm at school when they went on that snowboarding trip and then they said, oh, you got to write with your left arm. And in a couple of weeks he was doing it. Well, she was doing it. Because the brain can transfer information across. So if you want to test this theory out, Whatever hand you brush your teeth with, I want you to brush your teeth with the opposite hand. Just do it for a little bit. I guarantee after a couple of weeks, you'll be just as good with the opposite hand as you are with your, prom your dominant hand. But it's a limiting belief. So the body's very clever at transferring information. It knows the skill. So now you've just got to train the acquisition on the other side. It knows what to do. So with what you're doing with your legs to make it more bespoke, it's okay. When you're in the gym, when you've got a bit of time, jump on a machine. Start with something like a machine exercise. Have a little go, really light. Does it feel painful? No, okay. Standing, do that every, every day. Or every time you go to the gym, it's low impact, low activity. How does it feel during? How does it feel after? And then how does it feel? Now you're right, Karen. And then how does it feel after that again? The day after. If there's no pain and it's only muscular, then you know then I can continue to do that. And then you just build, build, build. But that's when you might need, again, a practitioner to go, hey, this is a complete no, and this is okay. Because there is obviously a point where you don't want to do yourself damage. But a lot of the time we listen to practitioners and via, we just take what they say for gospel. But based on their, again, it's not their fault, their scope of practice, it might not cover or they might be a little bit blind to what you could do. And look, if you do, uh, you find that that's not really helping, I do have some amazing professionals that I'm aligned with. I don't get a kickback, okay? But they're very hard to find good people and I can put you in touch with them and uh, they will be able to help you out in, in getting your body mobile and active again. Yeah, makes sense. Um, And it made sense for the most part? Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things that I was like. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's pretty good. So I kind of had a bit of an I've been training for about eight months, on and off. Um, and it, yeah, it gave me a good understanding of stuff that I probably didn't really care about before. Because mm -hmm. it made me go, oh, probably shouldn't care about that. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, that's great feedback. Yeah. And look, I, I know there's always going to be a few gray areas. And it's always hard in one hour to kind of cram a lot in. So yeah, it's I'll, if we can get the I'll basic. Be very overwhelming. I'm very reluctant to get myself into it. So I sort of think of what I want to do, which is suited me up until now. But this has definitely made me feel like I can be more engaged. Fantastic. Well I appreciate it. I'm glad you took something positive. Gentlemen, Toby, do you want to start us off? We did last week, yeah. Once again, it depends because it depends on how much and then what the goals are, and then as you progress in each sector. For sure. Did you what did you say? Did you say swimming or rowing? Oh, canoeing. Sorry. Um, with 
Mm. Correct. You could definitely implement some of it in and look, the good thing about canoeing, rowing, uh, etc. if you look at the physiques, even though they're long and lean, they're quite muscular, okay? And they're very strong and powerful and they do have very well-rounded muscle groups in certain areas. Obviously, the best way to gain muscle is lifting weights, but there's a lot of resistance. There's a lot of aerobic and VO2 max. So there's a lot of crossovers. We can talk about this, about your training specifically, but you'd definitely be able to still incorporate it in. We could even use that as cardio when we go in a calorie deficit as long well that's the thing and if you're doing canoeing it's like it's fun that's what I mean mm. yeah exactly exactly well as I said we'll, we will try and do pretty much next to no cardio, which we should be able to do. We should be able to get, if we're clever, and we keep doing what you're doing, you're building the food up, and most of our volumes and training, and we're training intelligently, we shouldn't have to do, if any, cardio to get shredded. So even that canoeing might just be that little extra bit, so we can keep food a little bit higher, and fatigue low. That's it. Yeah. And that's the thing, and if you like it, then we need to acknowledge that, but it just might not be a five-day-a-week thing, it might be a one-to-two-day-a-week thing. and only i don't know how many you do but there you go yeah yeah we can look about that before you start though have a chat to me about it and we'll make sure we factor that into your programming okay beautiful yeah yeah a really good question so more bespoke to physique sports here and power building is a term where we look at powerlifting and bodybuilding combined and it's generally come from the fact that we look at big strength-based athletes like powerlifters and there is a correlation and there's a relationship between strength and obviously size and vice versa so there's a saying that a bigger muscle has the potential to be a stronger muscle and a stronger muscle has the potential to be a bigger muscle so again it depends on the athlete now, in a perfect world, I would still have a combination. The priority, to keep it simple, to recommendations, to answer your questions specifically, if our main goal is hypertrophy, one third of our total volume should be done in the one to six rep range, powerlifting. Two thirds of that volume should be done in the hypertrophy, six to 12 plus rep range. Switch it around if it's strength, because there still needs to be, remember? So even if I'm a powerlifter, I get as strong as I can for my body weight and my muscle, I'm using all of my horsepower. And then at some point, if I wanna get stronger, I gotta add more lean mass because I need more power. I need to recruit more horsepower. It has to come from somewhere, right? I need to upgrade. But then vice versa, if I wanna be a bodybuilder and I'm repping, 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 I need a certain amount of tension or muscular force. So at some point, probably a good idea for me to increase the, uh, the weight rather than just 30, 40, 50 reps because then it gets to a point where I'm just doing cardio. And then again, I'm not working those primary energy systems. So I would always uh, encompass a combination, yes. So there is kind of that power builder, but there has been as of late a bit of confusion in specific to our industry guys where people will focus too much on strength and negate 
the bodybuilding work and then they find that, oh, I'm stronger, but I'm actually smaller, right? Because they've learned the, the skill of strength, but their totality of volume is actually reduced because their intensity is so high. So if I have volume, intensity, and frequency, there are three, say, gauges. If I turn them all up, it doesn't work. So if I just go all volume, all intensity, all frequency, so I'm gonna train as much as I can, as heavy as I can, as often as I can, I'm gonna just fail. So every time you turn one up, the other two have to negotiate. So there's always that little bit of balancing game. So that's where we go periods of where volume is high, intensity might be reduced, and frequency is moderate. And then we might go through times where frequency is high, so is intensity, but volume is low because there is a relationship between them all. So we can't just go 100% on all of them. And that comes back to the question of what are our goals, okay? So we've got to realize as well that there is an importance to both, but always coming back to what is my main goal and where do my priorities and what am I doing most of my work in, in, in terms of rep ranges and totality of volume. So for us, similar goals of being physique athletes. We definitely want to utilize strength to our advantage, but unlike a power lifter, we don't necessarily just have to get really good at squat, bench, and dead, although it's probably in our best interest or in our interest if we can do it safely, if we can do it efficiently, pain-free, and we can progress because we can accumulate so much volume. You can lift and get so much mechanical tension from a deadlift, a squat, and a bench press rather than sitting on a machine. You might be able to load the machine up with more plates, or so it may seem, but the machine is guiding you through that motion. So the mechanical tension, the mechanical tension is diluted. You're not getting as much from the movement. So it's a good idea if we can to use those big movements, but we might use them to the point where we don't cause any niggles, and then we get on a machine, and then we get on our dumbbells and use our higher rep ranges, and we pump it out to just smash the volume through. And at the same time, we're not over fatiguing. So when we come back to our big lifts, we're fresh. So we're using them as a skill where we're making sure that we're getting the most out of each or they complement each other. Does that make sense? Awesome. Big Greg? Uh, no Nothing at all. Beautiful guys. Well, that pretty much wraps us up team for this uh, masterclass. I want to thank you all for coming out on your Saturday morning. I really appreciate it. I hope you took something or a couple of things really positive away. You will have that email in your inbox, which will go through and it will have all of these elongated into a little bit more of a simplified medium, a body of text, which is summarized. So you can go, what, what was he talking about again? Cool. On each point and you can get that and take it away and you've got it there for reference. Okay. There'll also be information to the next masterclass. The next one is on skill acquisition. Now we're out of the classroom and we're in the gym, per se. We're gonna be teaching you, my clients will know this, how to lift safely, efficiently, effectively. How to maximize your performance for lifts. We're gonna be looking at the big lifts and how if you learn those principles, they correlate over to every lift in the gym. The fourth masterclass in the series is gonna be a cooking masterclass. It's two hours. It's gonna be next door at Icon Kitchens. We've partnered up with Peter and the team over there. We've got professional chefs, nutritionists, and coaches like myself. I'm gonna be teaching you about how to prepare your food, what foods to eat, some basic recipes and examples, and how you can basically have these foods and make them taste better by using the basics, but also prepare yourself for the week for someone with a busy schedule and you've got some key takeaways there as well. You're gonna be able to make food, you're gonna get hands on, you're gonna to get to take food away, eat it, try it, and we're gonna make sure we explain it all and spend that time with you as well. So they are the upcoming masterclasses. 
The skill acquisition was...